Did Matt come up with the title pizza for a pastor? Pizza with a pastor? Sounds like Matt. All jokes aside, if you guys want to know and see modeled vulnerability, if you want to see modeled putting yourself out there and making yourself look like a fool for the sake of someone's soul, follow your pastor. I'm telling you, he does it well. It's scary, but he does it because he cares for people that much. You can look at him. It's good to be here again in our second uh, sermon of this series in Ordinary Awesome, and that's our text for today, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. I just want to remind us that we have an anchored text found in Acts 2, 42 that stretches the span of this whole series. And last week, we talked about intimacy with the Lord through the scriptures. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and this week, we continue on, they devoted themselves also to fellowship breaking of bread and prayers. I think about fellowship, I guess in its generic sense, uh, you think about people getting together, people people like-minded, something in common. Um, I'm a big sports fan. If you know me, you know that. Uh, If you know me, you know that I'm a diehard Baltimorean Ravens fan. Some of my fondest moments um, are just being in a stadium during a football game when you know majority, you don't know majority of the people there. Meanwhile, you all seem to just get along. You all seem to get along. You all are cheering for the same thing. You all are, aren't concerned with what happened with your day the previous day. You all get sorrowful over the same things. You get heartbroken over the same things. You all are not knowing each other, but you end up hugging for some reason when good things happen consoling one another when bad things happen. Even working when I lived in Baltimore, you work in Baltimore after a loss and it's like everybody's so morbid, but everybody's just consoling each other. You can go order a coffee. It's like, yeah, let me get a you know, tall Americano. It's like, I know, bro. I know. You should have thrown it, man. The consolation is just very, it, it, it just flows naturally. But then one, a special thing happens. I remember my very first cruise I went on, it was my entire family. We went uh, a bunch of different places. Uh, one of those places was Costa Maya. And there was a person in Costa Maya, and I'm not talking about in the little Americanized, you know, section of Costa Maya where they make all the cruise people go. We went to the outskirts. There was a person wearing a Ravens jersey. And it wasn't just a Ravens jersey where it's like, hey, I found this, you know, jersey and I'm wearing it. They, they were a Ravens fan. And we were like, brother, Ravens. <laughs> we didn't talk about whether or not the coaching strategies were right. We didn't talk about whether or not the wide receivers were running good routes and the other players were doing everything right. We didn't really care about that. The fact of the matter is we found a bond in this one thing, Purple. And that makes me wonder how much greater of a bond the Christian shares. But do we hold it in high esteem? There has been something that's been just very evident, especially in today, where obviously, you know, we're human beings, divisions and things like that have existed Um, since human beings uh, fell out of relationship with the Lord, really. 
But now in today's society, we have access to not just human beings, but their thoughts daily. Their friends' thoughts. Their thoughts about their friends' thoughts. And so with that, we have compiled even more things to be divided over. And I know that's a part of life. But what's been heartbreaking for me is those divisions have superseded the bond that Christians share. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to the prayers. I'm going to open and close this with two quotes from Charles Spurgeon. I've been, on a, I've been on a Spurgeon kick lately, just reading his sermons, and I'm probably going to read them until the Lord calls me home because it's like 3,000 of them. This is what he says. Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It's his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. As we look through this text in Ephesians 2, I want us to focus on three transitions. Therefore, but now, so then. Therefore, but now, so then. Oh, that's cool. Let's start from the beginning. Therefore. Let's just focus on that one word. Typically when you're reading a text and it starts with therefore, a good question to ask yourself is what is the therefore, therefore? What is he talking about? We need some context. We just jumped into the middle of a conversation. He has a noteworthy pattern, Paul does, in this letter in Ephesians. He begins Ephesians with telling the church in Ephesus what's true already. Say, hey, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. You've been adopted through Jesus Christ. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. God, in his rich mercy and grace, lavished upon you his loving kindness. This is the case for you. This is what's true now. You've been marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, those of you who are in Christ. If you ever have a question on whether or not you actually will get into the kingdom, the Holy Spirit is that seal on you that says yes. This is what's true for you. But remember, individual who's been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, who's been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, remember you were dead in your sins. Don't forget that. You followed the God of this world, individual. Remember, it was God's rich mercy that brought you alive in Christ. So as you look at your hands and you look at other people's hands and you say, look at what I've done versus what you've done, remember, You were dead in your trespasses, but God, rich in his mercy, brought you alive. Therefore, individual, since you can remember what was once true of your souls, now remember what was once true of your status 
your citizenship. Paul makes this transition from talking to individuals now to a group, a collective. This is going to hold me up. I don't typically do this. I'll try to keep this as smooth as possible. Pay no attention to the clicker. So Paul's talking to a group now. He was talking to individuals. This is what was true about you. He transitions back to now what was true about you. From uh, chapter 1 to chapter 2, he goes from what is true to what was true. Chapter 2 to chapter 3, he's going back to what was true. He's going to transition to what is true. But then something interesting happens. He says, therefore, let me read that passage for us to jog our memory. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Let me ask you guys a question real quick. It's going to sound off the cuff, but I got to ask it. How do y'all feel about slurs? Racial slurs? Any type of slur? How do you define a slur? Is it what the world says is not nice? Have you defined a slur based off of its spelling and the specific consonants that's trickled down throughout tradition? And have made acceptable all the substitutes you may use instead of using that one slur? Obviously, we know the popular ones. If someone calls someone who's committing evil a slur, is the slur still evil? I'd say yeah. Because of the traditionalized slurs, we know that they're slurs. We've taken in their place nicer ones that sound better. They're still slurs. As far as culturally speaking, I think one of those nicer transitions for me was boy. Instead of nigger, it's boy. We hear certain words and it sends us into shock because of the letters and the consonants. Meanwhile, the same heart can dwell in a very nicer word and it doesn't get as much attention. Why am I talking about slurs? Paul makes this interesting statement, says, remember, therefore, (laughs) that you were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. Israel had a little bit of a slur for Gentiles. The uncircumcision is such a distinguished slur, isn't it? Doesn't sound that harmful. The uncircumcision, the reason why this is a slur, because a slur only has two purposes, to divide and degrade. That's it. To highlight the fact that you are not a part of me or us, and I or we are better than you. So how do we feel feel about slurs? Do we use them? 
How do we feel about gun nut? Liberal snowflake. Karen. My mother's name is Karen. Matt, could you grab that water for me? Appreciate that. And these things have definitions to them. If you've seen them in context, the Karen is a petty, invasive white woman. Thank you. People aren't assuming, oh, you look like a Karen. I, I think your parents named you Karen. No. They're dividing themselves and saying, you're petty and invasive. I'm not petty and invasive. We're divided. And being petty and invasive is disrespectful and it's stupid. And I'm not stupid. I'm better than you. Even more, you don't have to be a white woman to even be called a Karen. But it's acceptable, right? It's cool. It's like, hey, look, you're splitting hairs, Brandon. This is like, you know, it's different. It's different. To fallen humans, yeah, maybe. But is that our standard? Paul says, remember that you were once called these names. Why? So you can come up with names to get back at them? No. Remember that there was a name called that tried to signal out the division that existed between you. And this is why Paul wants to highlight the division that existed between the uncircumcised and the circumcised. Because even the name they gave them indicated the division was only merely flesh-based. Remember, this was the case. But then Paul goes to transition. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself a one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Paul is saying, but now, even though you can remember that there was this division that existed between you, now a real family has been made. You know why it's real? Because this little distinctive that existed between you, it was only in the flesh. And your bond is much greater than that. Let's see how he says this. There was this understanding that Israel was separated from the world, obviously. They read their Bibles, their Hebrew scriptures. But I think they got a little bit ahead of themselves. They genuinely believed that the purpose of their existence was isolation of everyone else. They didn't even know that the purpose of their existence was to draw the world in. That's the beauty of the new covenant. There's a passage in Jeremiah 31. Do I have that up? Let's put that up. Passage in Jeremiah 31 is one of those texts in the Old Testament that talks about the new covenant. It actually points to where we are in our anchor text in Acts 2. So Jeremiah 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So it's going to be a bit different. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. 
I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, this is where it gets interesting. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. What does that mean? What's implied here is that even though Israel was elected, not all of Israel was a follower of Yahweh. Not all of Israel chose Yahweh as their God. The mere definition of being God's people was physical. It was surface. Even the people who were chosen, Israel was chosen, but their devotion had to go beneath the surface. The mark that they had, the circumcision, was surface level. It was a surface level division, surface level distinction. And God, God has promised to make a new people, saying that those who were once my people were my people on the surface, but now my law is going to be written on their hearts. The very definition of being my people will mean to know me. If you're a Christian, you're understanding what I'm talking about. That there isn't a need when you come to Christ for someone to tell you about God. When you come to Christ, he's your father. You know him already. You might not have all the things worked out. Your theology might not be top notch. But when it comes to relationship, you know him. I understand that this could possibly, some of the frustration that people may have with apologetics. I love apologetics. But I understand some of the frustrations Christians may have with apologetics. Because it's like, look, I, I get it. I mean, I, I would love to try to break down the, the biological makeup of the human being to show that there's a God or, or show you the genetic makeup of a tree and show that how trees draw in the things that humans breathe out. And that's a God. There's this teleological design. I don't understand all that stuff, but I know him. I wish that I could explain to someone in the same way that he exists, but I know him. And I just can't get them to understand that. There's an apologist named Philip Dodgers, late apologist, late, late apologist, very old. He wrote an entire treatise about the existence of God in an apologetic kind of uh, treatment. And it's long. It's thorough. It's dense. But this is how he starts. I must desire you to observe that there is no proof in the world so satisfactory to the true Christian as to have felt the transforming power of the gospel on his own soul. I think that's why even with the best apologetic arguments, sometimes the most popular kind of uh, 20th century atheist was Anthony Flew. Before he died, he submitted to the arguments of apologetics and his conclusion yeah, there is a God. The end. You see the difference? He didn't mention a name. He doesn't know him personally. The arguments just drew him to a, a structural creator. Meanwhile, the Christian knows him because of this new covenant that's been placed inside of you. You don't need someone to come and teach you that his existence is there of who he is, to be his people is to know him. And that's a bond that runs 
deeper than any fleshly distinction. And Paul is saying, Gentiles, even though the Jews recognize the distinctions between you, it was only in the flesh. Here's the good news. That distinction, that dividing wall of hostility that you guys erected and recognized only in the flesh, it was destroyed. How? By Jesus having his flesh destroyed on its behalf. Now, this is where we need to pay attention. How many walls do we willingly erect based on the flesh? Because of the ease of access to everyone's thoughts, everyone's deeds, and everything else, it's, it's actually very easy to slander one another. I'm talking Christians here. It's so easy. It just flows so naturally, you idiot. The bond is minuscule to us. We hold so tightly to a good thing when we see the world and we see people who are lost and we're telling each other, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, but everyone's hating their sibling. Conversations that I've had probably, I don't know, maybe the last three months, I've come up with this title called Brother Butt Theology, Sister Butt Theology. It's interchangeable. What's brother and sister butt theology? It's when something like devastating new virus like COVID hits, and then you have pastors who make decisions and say, hey, we're going to shut down the church and go fully online. You have pastors that make decisions and say, hey, we're going to stay open, and anyone who's willing to come, you can come and continue to worship. And you have people on the outskirts slandering them, not once praying for their congregation and for their leadership. And I get in conversations with people like, yeah, do you see this idiot? And I'm always responding, hey, you know that's a brother you're talking about. I know that's a brother, but. But what? Flesh-rooted walls. telling you, being from West Baltimore City in this time of day and age, I have never seen more white people who hate white people. Never in my life. Marriages that harbor resentment and hatred because of the distinctions in the flesh. I have friends who have divorced their wives and husbands because of distinctions in the flesh. claiming to be brother and sister in Christ, unified in the covenant of marriage, destroyed because of walls erected in the flesh. I so long to have that raven's moment with brothers and sisters in Christ. Going back to the ichthus, you know why there are people driving around with minivans and a little silver fish on it? 
Because once upon a time, Christians would see other Christians and say, sister, brother. Therefore, remember what was true. There was division and it was futile. But now there has been a unity created and the hostility created through imperfect flesh has been destroyed. How? Through the destruction of perfect divine flesh. Now there's peace. Therefore, but now, so then. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember you were far away, but now you've been brought near. There's this motif of that all throughout Scripture. It starts with nearness, and in one action, boom, far away. We see God with man in Genesis 1. You see God against man in Genesis 3. You see man against man in Genesis 4, man being humanity. And then you see the culmination of this this poison, toxic flesh throughout the Gospels with man against the God-man, Jesus Christ. But then that act was a necessary act to display God's love for man. And as a result of God's love for man now, for some reason, man has the ability to love man. And man loving man is the result of God being in man. And in the culmination of that in the end is God with man perfectly, purely. We gaze upon him with unveiled faces, the scriptures say with one another, unified in a bond of peace through Christ Jesus. Have you been tracking with the process uh, and the progress of Paul's words in this passage? He, he starts and he, he begins and says, hey, guess what? You've been welcomed into the household. Yet remember, you were alienated from the promise of God. You were strangers. You were foreigners. And now you've been welcomed into the household. But everybody knows that, you know, somebody can put themselves out and invite you into the house and you don't feel comfortable. He's like, oh, man, you let me stay in your house. Paul says, no, you're members. It's your house. Then he progresses and he says, guess what? You are the house. Then he progresses and he says, guess what? Each one of you are stones contributing to the building of the house. Members of the household to the dwelling place, the temple of God. Temple of God to the stones that build together to form the temple. One temple, many people. Bunch of different distinctions in the flesh but the bond is far more superior. It makes no sense to acquiesce to terms like white church and black church. I don't care if a church is all white or all black because that's the way the neighborhood looks like. That's still surface level. If you are withholding a desire to be bonded by people who look different from you, that's the concern. The distinctions in the flesh, the blonde is in the spirit. 
It's unbreakable. It's a bond we didn't even make. How dare we go against it? And there's good news. Because we, human beings, we have a tendency to want to build our own house. I think in the huddle, uh, uh, maybe she's not in here, Thule, in the huddle, she prayed Psalm 127. It's like, if the Lord's not building it, you're building in vain. (laughs) If the Lord isn't the one watching, your watchmen are guarding your homes in vain. But there's good news for us because in this building that we are building built up into in the spirit, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. What does that mean that he's the cornerstone? He's the guiding source of the church in all things. We have a tendency to want to see this thing and it looks attractive and we go that direction or we see this thing and it's attractive and we go that direction when we can easily just keep flipping the pages and our direction is set. The symmetry is set. Jesus is not an add-on to the things that we would like to do with our building. He has never once been called the contributor and consultant of the Christian faith. He's the author and perfecter of the faith. Paul says in Colossians 2 that in Christ is hidden all, all, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to grow in understanding, grow in wisdom? It's rooted in Christ. You don't got to jump out. Everything you need to know, Second Peter, we have absolutely everything we need for a life of godliness. What's beautiful about this imagery is Paul is talking about a household and then he's talking about a temple being built and the stones being laid for the temple. Uh, last week we talked to, uh, in um, uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is the pastor of this church of the letter that Paul wrote to now. And in Ephesus, there was a temple that was known, Temple of Diana or Temple of Artemis. You familiar with the passage of uh, don't be drunk with wine but be led or influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's because people would go to this temple and they thought that the way to be bonded was for us to engage in these sexual activities and drunkenness so that we can be in tune with our God. Paul is saying the temple that you're building, the temple that you are, is far greater. It's far greater. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, we can defend against the different directions people try to send us down, defend against human cunning, defend against empty deceit, empty philosophy. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Fellowship is beautifully ordinary think we know that. I, I, I was once a member here. I grew here. I think the communities and the, the small groups are incredibly beautiful. But I don't want you to take it for granted because though they can be ordinary, especially in the life of a Christian, they are awesome. Don't cheat yourself out on that. 
Don't take for granted the ability to get together with a brother and sister and grab coffee or eat. You have brothers and sisters you've never met before who are hiding for their lives just to read Scripture. And their family. Their family. As you continue in those ordinary things, wouldn't it be awesome to intentionally grow deeper in fellowship with a brother and sister this summer? To, to, to remove your guardedness and, and act in that vulnerability. To let a brother and sister carry your burdens with you, to carry the burden of a brother and sister. Wouldn't it be awesome? Human conversation is ordinary. Hurting when others hurt. Consoling when others are heavy laden. Pointing to Jesus when others are in a valley. That's awesome. Having differences and treating each other as family. It's awesome. There are actual biological families that can't do that. Let's no longer grow obsessed with differences made in the flesh. For we are being built into a holy temple. So the distinctions that we see are just the aesthetics of the beauty of the temple we're becoming. Charles Spurgeon said this, we have had but glimpses where we wanted sights. We have had but twilight where we needed the sacred everlasting noon. What is the reason for this? Perhaps it's to be found in our want of union. They were all with one accord in one place. Christians cannot all be in one place. We have no room that would be large enough to hold them. Blessed be God. But if they cannot all be in one place, yet they can all be on one accord. Oh, when there are no cold hearts, when there are no prejudices to divide us, no bigotries to separate us, no apathy to hold us down, no false doctrine no, to separate the flock from one another, no schism to rend the one sacred garment of Christ, then may we expect to see the Spirit of God resting upon us. As we prepare for communion, week after week, you're reminded of Christ's body being broken down for us. It's not just seen in one way. Dividing walls of hostility are broken down in Christ's body. <clears throat> Worship team, you can come. Dividing walls ultimately between us and God. We are no longer enemies. We are considered daughters and sons. So therefore, as a result of that, the distinction and the differences that created dividing walls between us have also been broken down. And we are seen as brothers and sisters. That spirit of bond, of peace, the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That spirit that cries, Abba, Father, also cries, sibling. When we see one another. The dividing wall has been torn down. The blood that we drink is the blood that has cleansed us of unrighteousness. 
And so now we are dwelling household members of the kingdom of God. Each one of us, stones building into the temple of God where he dwells forever. Be reminded of that. Father, God, thank you for the fact that you guide us. Thank you for your direction and your peace. Humble us, Lord. Humble us, Lord. Because we need you. God, I thank you for the fact that because we can't get it right, it doesn't depend, or your love for us doesn't depend on the fact that we can't get it right. But we worship and praise your name because we were once far off, dead in our trespasses. We were once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, alienated from the commonwealth of the kingdom of God. Now we are called sons, daughters, a kingdom of priests. God, exalt that reality in our hearts and our minds. That though we can see distinctions between us, we would be bonded with the fact that your spirit dwells within us. We would have moments of joy when at last, a brother, a sister, would deep fellowship permeate this church to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.